Welcome to Beyond the Now, an intergenerational podcast that seeks to demystify the changemaker journey and equip listeners to live into their desire to create systemic change. I'm your host, Kayla, and today Amanda will introduce us guest, The Path. On Beyond the Now, we envision the path to a better future through the lens of a social entrepreneur. With each episode, we share conversations with changemakers, the academics, community leaders, and social entrepreneurs who are looking beyond the now. Join us as we explore what lies beyond the now. Won't you take it in climate? Catherine has a diverse background in global health and humanitarian aid. She has worked on women's health initiatives in Cameroon, on humanitarian aid in Colombia, and in health education tech in Guatemala. In 2019, she was living out of a backpack for eight months, using workaway and couchsurfing for accommodation. More on that. Oh. As a master's student, Catherine shadowed a psychiatrist working with migrant and refugee populations to address mental health and gender-based violence. Catherine then wrote her master's thesis on the psychological health impact of human trafficking for sexual exploitation on women around the world. With that, let's get into the... Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Amanda was actually telling me that you backpacked. Yeah, Yeah. we kind of wanted to like start with this question because I feel like a lot of us have experiences where... You know, we do something maybe non-traditional or something in our life pushes us, like you said, to go and do our own thing. So if it has any connection like to where you are now, like what have you what have you learned from that time backpacking? Um, maybe you mentioned the gift economy. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you define backpacking. When I think of backpacking, oh. I always think of like, ooh, yeah. fun. <laughs> no, um, right. I would not say it was a fun eight months. It was actually like really stressful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was valuable. It was certainly valuable because essentially what happens is that I was in my last semester of my master's degree and I was writing my thesis. I was um, taking classes at different partner institutions and at different, I was, so my master's was in Spain and I was going to Germany to do um, some advanced modules there and I was running out of money also. So, and so I had decided, okay, I'm just going to give up my apartment. Um, well, my room and my shared apartment with five other people, I'm going to give that up. Um, I gave away or sold all of my things and just kind of put all of my possessions into a backpack. And then I challenged myself, okay, I wonder how long I can go without paying for accommodation. And it was partially, because of the financial situation that I was in, but it was also, I don't know, it was also like, okay, I know that humans are good. I know that people are generous and they they are hospitable even towards strangers. And I was curious to see how far I could, I mean, who I would meet, how far I could go kind of, and how long I could make it. And it was just a personal challenge that I sort of made for myself and ended up being eight months and, uh, it was great. I mean, I mostly stayed with people from Couchsurfing, which was also founded by an Ashoka fellow. And I did workaways and I stayed with friends and friends of friends. So mm-hmm. it was great. Um, yeah. And I was in, I was in all, I was in France. I was in Germany. I was in Croatia. I was in um, Budapest in Hungary. So I ended and also in Spain. So I ended up um, being able to travel a lot because of my my master's degree mostly that I had to do all that traveling, <laughs> not oh, so much wow. for fun, but it was fun. 
I met a lot of really interesting people Definitely. who I never would have met otherwise. No, I just, I love that. And I think the question like that we wanted to ask was just to get an intro on who you are and what kind of person, you know, chooses to backpack or, you know, live out of a backpack for eight months. And I love that it's, it's not some fancy story. It's more like I had a problem and my solution was to make it into a challenge for myself. And I just think that's hard, but it's, um, that's how we learn how we grow and create these experiences in our lives that we'll never forget. Definitely. And it also did teach me something kind of deeper about my own set of values and what is important to me. Um, and just like this idea of giving from the heart and not expecting anything in return was so amazing to me. And this is the, this is the foundation of a gift economy. And that is now the foundation of my own health event, women's health venture, which I'm hoping to start up here soon. So it did definitely snowball into something a little bit bigger. And that tell us more of your personal experience, you know, why did women's health resonate with you? Mm. Um, and where are you kind of at with that now? Right. So I, for a really long time, was interested and committed to sustainable urban development um, internationally. And I studied environmental policy and planning, and I was very much into this environmental climate change, big, horrible issues, which are happening and doing something to kind of address that. And That was my whole student years, I would say. And then right when I graduated from college, I went to India to work on a project there, um, which was a participatory community-led project. And so it was the community who identified their top problems and then the community who identified the solutions to those problems. So before it started, we had no idea what was going to be the topic of this project. And I was selfishly hoping that it would be something environmental because this is where my interests at the time were were laying. And um, of course, four out of the five um, rural sites that we were working with actually chose a public health issue. Mm. And the last site was um, covering illiteracy. So Mm. there was nothing to do with the environment there, but it really was my my first exposure to public health in like a concrete way, I would say. And um, I was also at the time living with some Christian nuns and they were addressing sex trafficking in the community. And so we set up a menstrual health workshop together. And I also read the book Half the Sky at the time, which had a really big impact on me. And I can definitely recommend that book to anybody who's interested in um, women's health or just generally women's problems on a global scale. It's a kind of a sad book, but it also is a very hopeful book. And it shows how these women have turned their oppression into opportunity. And it was, yeah, from that point, I was like, okay, it's going to be women's health for me going forward. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that was in 2016. So over the last four years, I've gone through some phases where I was like, hmm, which which of these issues do I want to tackle? Because there are so many of them. Um, Mm. It's almost a paradox of choice. And I'm passionate about all of them. But um, yeah, so I settled on maternal health, sexual reproductive and maternal health. Um, but I'm, I love, I mean, I like all of them. So I, <laughs> um, yeah. the whole field is really interesting. And so what kind of barriers have you encountered um, when, like, specifically in that uh, vein of women's health, like global barriers? Um, I would say... In terms of women's health, as I said before, there's kind of this paradox of choice when it comes to what 
ooh, what do I, what do I want to focus on in this problem, in this field? Because mm-hmm. a lot of fucking violence that women face worldwide, you know, there's sex trafficking, sexual assault, domestic violence, female genital mutilation, femicide. Uh, women are dying in childbirth, even in high-income countries. But then there's also a lot of hidden problems. Um, hidden, I say, in quotes, because we also realize that these exist um, that are affecting women where they are missed or undiagnosed mental or physical illnesses. Um, People do not know how to handle their periods. They are on planned pregnancies, um, STIs, and the list just goes on and on and on. So, and these problems are actually even amplified even further when you start looking at how they intersect with other things such as race, poverty, so other social norms, religion, exactly. Migration status, um, and they intersect in a way that's hugely problematic on a systemic and institutional level. Mm-hmm. Um, also, access to good education, access to good facilities, um, the lack of quality care when you do reach the facility, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I think reducing women's vulnerability to a lot of these problems could be achieved by tackling those systems and shifting mindsets on a societal level. But of course, this is uh, very difficult to do, and this is such a big, lofty goal that, you know, it's easier to say, okay, let's donate uh, sanitary pads. <laughs> yeah, right. let's do it. This is also good and important, but it's not like the root cause of, of the issue. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's the reason Amanda and I, you know, want to talk about people like you who are saying, hey, we are going to tackle this issue and I'm going to take people with me to see that change happen. And I don't know how how much Amanda uh, told you about how we're wanting to really speak to the Gen Z and the millennial age range that kind of helps us to reflect back on, okay, yeah. at what t- point in time as young people or younger people did we start being inspired I don't know Amanda did you want to say more on that yeah sure that's so sweet that you um kind of set that up because yeah we're we're also quite new to this uh journey ourselves like I'm 22 Kayla's Kayla how old are you (laughs) don't even want to say it I'm almost 27 (laughs) I'm 26 it's okay (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. So Yeah, so we've got so much time, ladies. We've got so much time. But throughout our time, right, we're meeting all sorts of interesting people and we've had these amazing experiences and um we're pushing for more, but I think a lot of times within our generation like there's maybe sometimes a gap um in the way that we operate as change makers. Um, and there's a lot that we can learn from each other across generations, you know, even beyond the uh, Gen Z and millennial. So the idea is that uh, for this podcast is that we connect people on a really practical level. Um, and there's all sorts of ways that that might happen, but we wanted to start with a real conversation um, with someone who, like you, is so ready to make this a reality and like sometimes we do just need to have someone ask us, so, you know, what do you want to do? Why are you passionate about this? And how are you going to make it happen? And like verbally working that out and um, giving ourselves the space to do that, I think is so empowering and exciting. So that's kind of why we started the podcast and why we're so excited to interview you today. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. So can you remember a, a pivotal yeah, first step completely. you took as a young person that inspired change making for for now? Um, I was thinking about this. I wish I had, I wish there was a pivotal first step that I took when I was younger, but I would say it was actually when I was 19. Um, still a teenager. Okay. <laughs> but I went some on, grace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not so many years ago. I wish I could say I was like 11 and I started a club to say, I know. Um, uh, we all do. <laughs> my sister did no. that when she was in second <laughs> grade, okay. but unfortunately I cannot claim credit for that idea. Um, but when I was 19, I went on a service trip to Honduras, uh, to build a school for a week. So I see now this experience as being really cringy, voluntourism, white saviorism. Obviously, as a 19-year-old, I had no idea how to yeah. build anything, <laughs> especially not for a week. Um, but at the same time, it, it was also my first mm -hmm. time that I had left North America. I had only been to Canada before, so I was not very well-traveled. And it was hugely impactful to me in terms of shaping my interests and what is now my career um, because sort of the juxtaposition between the beautiful nature of Honduras, but also the, the poverty and the, the slums and the houses and just how different it like actually looked from the U.S. Um, really pushed me into this desire to work in sustainable urban development. And that's kind of what led me to study mm -hmm. later environmental policy and planning and to, yeah, kind of think, okay, I'm going to, yeah, it's going to be international development for me, you know, that was, that was kind yeah. of like what pushed me into that. And then that's what helps lead me onto this next phase of actually going to India and then getting introduced to these um, bigger interests that I now have in women's health. So, but it was definitely that trip, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky to be able to go to have that experience. And it was a very privileged bubble that I, you know, had lived in to be so shocked by just like looking out the airplane window and seeing, seeing the houses and thinking, oh yeah, okay. I want to, I definitely want to work to like make this different. Absolutely. Yeah. I, we were talking about this um, in a class I'm co-teaching yesterday that there's always this catalytic moment that catapults people towards uh, a desire to change themselves and a desire to, to see change happen. No, I think a lot of us um, privileged uh, Americans have that experience. And I think it's tough to be ashamed or to look back on it and to integrate that experience into our journeys because I hear you completely when you're saying like, I wish I was 11 years old and I started an organization or not even that. Like I wish that I was um, had the resources and the support um, to be passionate and to think that I could make a change and but I think it is just so important to be able to say uh, like I've done a lot of things maybe I wouldn't have done again and just trying to to use that and leverage that and say okay how can we be better yeah. exactly. and Kath, I'm curious to know like having that experience when you're 19 you know becoming older and then thinking mm, wasn't really comfortable with how that played out like even though you acknowledged but that was good how are you engaging with these issues that are not only affecting women in third world countries, but mostly affecting women in third world countries? How, how do you see yourself relate to tackling that problem when you realize white people coming to build a house questionable? 
but we're still white people tackling <laughs> problems, you know, that that mostly the white West is yeah. creating or allowing. So I'm I'm always curious, how do you see yourself in relation to the people you're serving? Um, I think that definitely this is this is probably one of the biggest and most relevant things to to be discussing. And it should have been a conversation that everybody had decades ago. So I have to admit, like now with this organization that I'm hoping to, to establish now it's hugely focused in re-empowering like local people community-based community-oriented care and we're not interested in white saviorism here and I think that it's it's kind of hard to come to terms with this when you're also in your 20s when you've just graduated from university when you're trying to create your career and from an entry level junior level position and um, at the same time you're really picky with who you want to work with (laughs) It's kind yeah. of, it's a little bit tough to, um, yeah, kind of decide where do my values lay and where am I, like, what boundaries am I going to create around these values? This is also kind of why I decided to start my own thing, not because, like, nope, but, you know, there's a lot of good organizations out there. I think a lot of them are flawed, but I think there are a lot that are doing really, really good work and, I want to be one of them. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I actually, I watched a really interesting documentary a few years ago called Schooling the World. And um, this also really shaped my thinking about this topic. It's about education and how a lot of international development projects are based in education. And we kind of agree, especially from a public health standpoint, that education is great. Like we want to educate people so that they can make their own choices and they can fix their own systems and they can maybe shift some social and cultural norms and whatnot. Education is like power. It's empowering. It's liberating. But this documentary kind of says like what kind of education you're giving the people also matters because we're giving a, we're giving our Westernized system of education into a society that has a different set of values. And when we educate them in our values, it kind of whitewashes their values and, kind of like this intergenerational um, passing down of like stories and knowledge and this form of education gets lost. And I think this is tragic, honestly. Absolutely. It's tricky, but it's something that we have to be aware of. I think when we're, when we are from a high income country, we're from the U S we're white, (laughs) like, Okay, we have to we have to be aware of we we think we're doing good work, but maybe we're really not um, actually. And this is why I think really the solutions lay with the community and not with us necessarily. Almost like cultural relativity, right? And and not just tolerating differences, mm-hmm. but celebrating the differences of countries and how they want to um, assert their independence. So, yeah, right. thanks for sharing. Yeah, I really appreciate the different perspectives that Kayla brings and you bring and I bring um, as young women looking to see change. Um, It's just, it's so exciting. And I would love to hear more honestly about your perspective on maybe organizations you've seen that inspire you or doing something that you would like to emulate in some way. Um, Yeah, I would say... I'm definitely like kind of like how, as I mentioned earlier, I said, where I said like these bigger organizations 
I'm like not so impressed with them. Okay. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot or anything like that. Like say something that I can't take back, but I'm definitely biased towards like individuals and grassroots organizations over these like big million dollar, I don't know, these, they're so limited by this bureaucratic red tape. And I was for a time, just as like a little anecdote, um, I was working in humanitarian assistance in Colombia for these Venezuelan walkers, like refugees. And it was just like the on the ground local organizations that were making the biggest impact. And like the big organizations that were there were kind of like useless. And there was so much frustration with, with it, with the local community where they were like, these people have so much money. Why aren't they helping more? Like, why are they gifting like teddy bears to the children? Like, like I can't remember which organization it was, but they were, you know, the local shelters, they're feeding, they're sheltering. um, They're providing showers to, to people, medical care to people. And then was like one of these big UN <laughs> bodies was donating teddy bears and the kids are happy to get the teddy bear. And then the next day you see it on the side of the road because the parents yeah. are carrying their life on their shoulders, like walking across the country. They're not going to carry a teddy bear with them, you know, but this is why, I mean, of course, these organizations obviously do a lot of good work and they've been hugely impactful, especially in like a policy level. But um in terms of like smaller organizations, um, Alter Natal is a Hungarian organization that was founded by Agnes Gereb. I hope that I don't pronounce her name wrong, but she was working towards legalizing home births in Hungary and just humanizing the whole birthing experience and transforming the type of care that was available in hospitals at the time. And she has such an interesting story and she was actually arrested and then she was pardoned by the president of Hungary. And this was in 2018. And this is the direction that I want to also go in. So I'm hugely inspired by her and I would love to meet her one day. Um, Also in South Africa, there is the Perinatal Mental Health Project, which is Um, with like public health care workers and pregnant women to kind of like enable these vulnerable communities or these marginalized communities to identify and treat mental health issues. And I also think this is so important and so inspiring. And it's just for me, what's most inspiring is community oriented care, putting the power back into the hands of the community, I just think is the best thing that you can do. And it's just like so inspiring and it has such a big difference. It makes such a big difference, um, especially when it comes to maternal health and postpartum, childbirth, pregnancy, the whole, the whole full spectrum of care. That was episode one of our conversation with Catherine Banchoff, and we're excited that you're here with us. Join us next week as Catherine shares more with Amanda and I on women's health and postpartum pregnancy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Now. Have any questions for myself, Amanda, or Catherine? Please leave them in the comment section or email us. We would love to hear from you. We aim to encourage change makers who are ready to take action on their visions and solutions for a more empathetic, diverse, and sustainable world. If you know someone who thinks beyond the now and is looking to build a life dedicated to social change, share this episode with them. See you next week for episode two with Catherine Banchoff. <laughs>